0: Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, morning. Good morning. 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 My name is is Andrea Pinnikov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on Israel, I don't know where you're listening in from today or on your podcast, but I have to tell you, it is so so cold in Israel. Israel. It is is cold. cold. It It is 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 winter. winter. It It is said that this country has weather from every single spot in the world. Meaning, whatever corner of the world you are listening in from, we have your weather here. All right. On today's All right, show, on today's we, show are course, we are, of course, going course, to speak about to my speak favorite, favorite portion of the Torah, which, of course, is my favorite. A lot of things went on in Israel this week. A lot of things went on in Israel this week. I just got a buzz. And um, we're going to talk about the, the murder. murder. I have to talk I have about to- it. The murder, young, the murder of a, of a student, young, young murder of a young man, a young father, a young, father, a young, a young star Star. Okay, I apologize. We're having some technical difficulty. We're going to try to fix the audio with Andrea. Stay with us, everybody. aggressive. aggressive. Let's see. We will, see. Talk, we will a talk a little bit a little about, immigration. about immigration. What else, what else, will else we check? Yeah. yeah, this, this week, week our, our non Jewish Christian, Christian listeners, listeners, I believe, I think tomorrow, tomorrow night is the holiday Christian. And, and it really, really is, is very, very much, much a non event in Israel. Israel but that's, well, that's not to say that it does not go unnoticed. So we have so much to talk about. And let me see what else can I share with you? Oh, yeah. I went, I went yesterday, yesterday and I, I went to, went to an, an empty, empty IKEA. Ikea. And, and I, must I must tell you, tell you um, um, I, think I think that the Malays, the Malays, the COVID Malays, is, is taking place, is place all, all over the world. world. None and of us, us are, are exempt. exempt. And, and what, what frightens, frightens me more are, me are the arguments, arguments between, between friends. friends. So I'd like to know what you think. Drop me a note today. Let me know if you're listening. And write to me at andrea at israelnewstalkradio.com. I would like to hear from you. Okay, we will speak on the other side. And we're back. Andrea Simenchov, sorry for laughing. Andrea Simenchov, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. As I said before, the weather is freezing. So I think I'm laughing. I think it's a uh, a physiological reaction to the cold. Whoever heard of the Middle East being cold? You see pictures of the desert. Crazy. All right. Um, So it was interesting. I went. I, I was thinking about the juxtaposition of the, of the Western world where the holiday of Christmas seems to take over. It's just all over the place. And here in Israel, it's, it's very subdued. I live in the south, southeast of Jerusalem, uh, where we have a very large Christian community. And uh, well, I don't know how large, you know, nine. But anyway, we have a large Christian community and they have lights up. But in Israel, when they hang up the holiday lights, kind of like by the municipality, they don't make anything like, because it's such a known to be this international city, Uh, we're not discussing whether or not I agree with it, but this international city, they kind of decorate Jerusalem with kind of generic, (laughs) generic, what I call simchadik, happy. Lights. You can't really tell. You can't tell if it's Santa Claus or a menorah. You can't tell if it's a chauffeur or a bouquet from some non-Jewish holiday. They just have like these lights and they they keep everything blue and white so that in case you shouldn't have an accident and think that you're driving down um, um, Fifth Avenue in New York. It's just like I think they have like this generic holiday decorating department in the municipality And it doesn't really work. It's not Christian. It's not Jewish. It's not Islamic. It's just, they must be. So anyway, I was in Ikea yesterday. And I know that Ikea is around the world. are all decorated. You would have thought it was like a Tuesday in, in August. I mean, nothing. All right. So let's get on to some stuff. You know that I talk about the things that interest me, the things that, excite. oh, I forgot to say good morning, good morning, good evening to those listening in from the U.S., Boca Israel, Algeria is with us this morning, that's nice, Um, Austria, and Australia, and Germany, and Nigeria, and the U.K., wow, I hope you guys are all doing all right, I hope that everybody is staying warm, and I hope that everybody is staying healthy. Let's just all dove and let's all pray for health, both emotional health, spiritual health, physical health. And you know what? More than everything, fraternal health. All right? So I just came across an article this morning. For those of you who think that Israelis are just stubborn, Israelis are the obstacles to peace, that things are really changing in the Middle East, if only these Israelis would let it happen. (laughs) have a sip of your java. And let me tell you, it's business as usual. The Arabs have slammed Mansour Abbas. He's a Knesset member. He's a member of the Jewish Knesset in the Jewish state. And he had the temerity to suggest to recognize Israel as a Jewish state. Okay, so Palestinians across, this is a title of Across the political spectrum, have strongly condemned Ra'am, which is the United Arab List leader, and member of Knesset Mansour Abbas for recognizing Israel as a Jewish state. The article is already suspect because when it says Palestinians from across the political spectrum, let me meet some of them from across the political spectrum. I'm open-minded. I can hear it. I haven't met you. I've heard one political, one one prism, one flat plane of the prism. All right? Because on Tuesday, what is today? Thursday morning here in Israel, Abbas was quoted as saying the state of Israel was born as a Jewish state and it will remain one. He made this statement at a conference of the Hebrew economic newspaper Globes. Well, We know what happened. Um, I don't even know who said this. Blasts coming out of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. He does not represent the Palestinian people at home and everywhere in the world, the statement read, adding that such remarks contradict religion, history, and Palestinian heritage. You hear me biting my tongue. You hear what I'm not saying. Okay? Is it hopeless? Can we say it's hopeless? I don't know. I don't know if we can say it's hopeless. You know, we're Jews. We say even if one has a hardship in their life, it doesn't mean you give it up and say it's hopeless. Let's just give it up. You have to pray and you have to sometimes live with these these factoids. Let me see if there's any other thing that can add depression. We should be starting with something upbeat, not the typical Ah, Fatah, yeah, Fatah, Fatah added, Mansour Abbas represents only himself and his fate and the fate of those like him will be in the dustbin of history. Once more, upbeat news, upbeat future. Why are the Palestinians, why are the Arabs not raising up, standing up, demanding reform? We know We know, let me just say, Hamas said that despite Mansour Abbas's statements regarding the Jewish identity of Israel, the Palestinians will remain steadfast on their historical land and refuse to give up an inch of it. You heard it here, boys and girls. Zero-sum mentality. Adults burying the hopes, the futures, the aspirations of their children to participate, to function, to thrive and advance in this world, Israelis, if you think that we're the aggressors, I beg all of you, I beg you, if you, if this is your only source of news, your only source of what's happening in Israel, then please type in, did you know that Google is now a verb? Google the name Yehuda Dement Men. Yehuda phonetically, Dementman, D-I-M-E-N-T-M-A-N. Slaughtered, killed, targeted, not personally. He had the temerity to be a Jew, an aggressive Jew, an aggressive Jew who lived in peace with his beautiful wife and nine-month-old baby. He worked, he went to yeshiva, he was a friend, he was a son, he was a daddy, he was a husband. So if you think that they that Israelis are the aggressors, take a look at his wife sitting with her crossed legs, placing her fingers, the dust of the sand of his grave, racing, dripping out of her fingers. Let me let me tell you, what what act of aggression did his wife commit? What did he commit? There's no justification for his murder or the murder of any other blessed Israeli on our side. There's no moral equivalency. Can't even say that word. I'm so angry, forgive me. And to anyone who's listening to this and dares to add a, however, but, you know, just don't, stop. Practice the art of stop. As I said to a friend in the car yesterday, They don't know. People do not know. Now, not knowing is not a crime. But the chutzpah, the arrogance of waxing eloquently like a woke clown on a subject in which you have no experience, no holy brothers and sisters who are holding this land, preserving this God-given land to consult with, just stop. With the slaughtering of Yehuda Mantman, a world was destroyed. The world of a woman, the world of a baby, the world of parents. What words of comfort can we offer this widow? What words to make it all good can we say to his parents and his siblings? Can you imagine your husband, your wife, your partner, someone beloved to you, your child leaving with a kiss? And the words, see you later. What's going to be for dinner? Let's go out. Let's bring in. And they don't come back. They never hug you again. Never smile that smile. That they hold just for you. To all of us listening, I beg you. Practice silence. Because you hood a dementment is among the heroes who know that the land of Israel is larger, far larger than any United Nations vote, than any government of mere men. The land of Israel is holier and larger than any foolish, arrogant and entitled blathering that happens in carpeted living rooms and halls of higher education that pepper a universal landscape on God's holy earth. May the memory of Yehuda Dementman be forever blessed. Don't forget his name, memorize his name. And one more thought according to friends, he had an unusual ability to be very clear in loyalty to values, but at the same time, He was open, he was friendly, he was loving, and he always ended up being friends with someone despite disagreements. It's a special gift, especially in this generation. I must add that even before the funeral, they destroyed the new outpost that was erected in his name. I've heard it said that there should be five new Jewish communities going up at this time not hundreds of our holy soldiers instructed to keep and to bought, to keep yeshiva students from the town of Chomesh. Again, people, inform yourselves. Remember his name and pray for us. See you on the other side. So join me, Steve Miller, and me, Matt Zucker, for Lighting Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Okay, we're back. Andrea Semetov pull up a chair on Israelnewstalkradio.com. I'm looking at the second segment, all of my notes, and then I realize I have like, so much Torah to share. So, you'll we'll stick a little in at this time. Let's get rid of all the current events because they're getting to be boring to me. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Listen, if you want to yell at me, if you want to scream at me, if you want to share, I got some very nice notes today uh, this week remember i got a very nice note from a fellow in tennessee are you listening in mr tennessee write to me again anybody who wants to send me a note and say to me andrea you're a genius but we totally do not agree with you on this feel free i'm a big girl i can take it my address is andrea at israelnewstalkradio.com i really do like hearing from you um came across this lovely let me just look here Okay, if you hear papers when your papers going around just so you know that i prepare all right so people often say and i've heard this you know i really would love to study more wow i wish i could learn more torah i wish i could learn uh you know more of god's word and but you know if i weren't so preoccupied with my business affair with my learning with my you know dysfunctional family if i wasn't plagued with all these personal problems I would be able to serve Hashem with greater dedication and piety. So the Mishnah actually has an answer for this, has a very fitting response. It says, do not say when I have the opportunity, I will study, because perhaps you will not have the opportunity. Rabbi Bunam suggests that it is Hashem's will that you serve him under These less favorable circumstances. And the Chafetz Chaim, of whom we speak quite often on this show, the Chafetz Chaim explains that that above-mentioned verse, you know, if I were not so preoccupied, the place where you stand is holy ground. The precise situation in which you find yourself at this very moment is holy. Hashem expects you to serve him in your situation and environment, despite the difficulties involved. Well, that's going to give me something to talk about at my Shabbos table. By the way, please, uh, so I I like to let you know, <laughs> just to keep you informed, if you want to send me a note, send us good uh, dog. My husband is going into the hospital tomorrow, uh, into Holy Hadassah Hospital in Mount Scopus, and he will be having a hip replacement. You like that, a hip replacement? <laughs> age and I'm very excited because I'm going to be spending the Sabbath in the hospital so I'll have more to report next week it'll be a new adventure for me and um, yeah okay so anyway this is interesting says Andrea apparently in 2021 which is closing out it's racing away as we're talking oh my gosh we were so excited to leave 2020 behind well whoop-de-doo it can add another notch to the belt. So apparently this year even despite the airport closings, despite all of the sagarines, the shutdowns, 4000 US immigrants moved to Israel and that was the highest annual figure since 1973. So 20 just this last year, say 4000 were Americans and how many 20 more than 27,000 People in all made the Jewish state their new home this year, up 30% from the year before, but still below the pre-COVID numbers. I find this fascinating. In France, let me just say, new arrivals included because the U.S., the highest figures, 400 immigrants arrived from Canada. I guess you're cold here today too, bringing the total number of immigrants from North America to 4,400s. We saw 40% coming in from France, highest number in four years, uh, from Russia, the former Soviet Union, 7,500, and um, from the Ukraine. Other countries who came are regular listeners to this show. I guess they wanted to come and see me in the studio. We have people coming in from Argentina, uh, from the UK came in, 550 from South Africa. I know it included some of my own children. 550 from Brazil and 280 from Mexico. Um, By the way, I'd like to talk a little bit, not today because I'm not really prepared, but I'd like to talk a little bit more about what's going on in Brazil and what the Brazilian Jewish community can expect in the upcoming years with an election of a new president with a very questionable relationship to Israel and the Jewish people. And um, also welcome brothers and sisters from Ethiopia came in um, a little more than 1600. So again, Israel is the home, the land of the Jewish people. We're here. We're waiting for you. When I read about what's going on on Western campuses, when I read what's going on, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about this during the Parsha. You know, it happened before. I think I called this program Willful Blindness when I posted it on Facebook. And again, we're going to compare what's happening in the world with the plethora of anti-Semitic activity. It's really robust. It's happening all over. Nobody can deny it's happening. And yet everybody thinking it's going to be all right. This is, you know, ultra. It's not typical. Well, guess what? The Torah, the blueprint of the world says contact your Aliyah advisors whether it be the jewish agency whether it be nefesh Benefesh, please boys and girls open up a teak a teak is a a portfolio open up a portfolio have it waiting for you because if the day should come that you feel that you need to flee need to pick up or need to pick up your jewish identity in the place where it is most vibrant You don't want to start from the beginning. Okay, Um, anything else you want to say about Aliyah here this morning? Um, Yeah, and by the way, feel free to drop me a note. I'm not really an expert, a maven on the subject, but I can certainly help guide you to the proper channels. All right, so I think that some of our listeners will be interested in this. I don't know how the heck I tripped over this article but a new organization has been formed to give support to those who have converted to Judaism who are in the process of converting to Judaism i believe that it's taken that it exists actually in israel but in the world of cyberspace what does it really matter it's called ohev ger which really means to love the convert uh, i'm translating it will seek to give a framework of support to converts who very often feel isolated after their uh, conversion and to educate communities, certainly Jewish communities, as to best assist those who have converted. I must tell you from a uh, personal standpoint, the phenomenon of those converting to uh, traditional Judaism is really a phenomenon that's Unprecedented, I believe, historically, um, an organization whose name actually means caring for converts. It was set up by a Rabbi Chaim Kantorovitz. He's an educator and a communal rabbi. I don't know him. And Rabbi Menachem Weinberg. You know what? We got to get him on the show. And this I have seen. The rabbi said, which rabbi? Rabbi Kantorovitz said that loneliness is a particular problem for converts, noting that some suffer a severe sense of isolation which can have serious consequences for their mental health and well-being and not to mention, this is my addition, to their children and to how they um, see themselves as individuals. You know, some of them do integrate very, very well, but there are others that really struggle. They struggle getting a job, some struggle with matchmaking, finding an apartment, dealing with Israeli institutions and similar issues. Remember, it's not to judge, but I have to tell you, Israelis very often are unfamiliar with it, nervous about it. We have a checkered history of those claiming to convert to Judaism who actually are trying to convert us back. And those things don't um, disappear. Those elements don't disappear. So it really, this organization seems to be an opportunity to change uh, preconceived notions for those who opt to enter the covenant, and for them also to give them that leg up. They were really very, very isolated. And here he says, as the community rabbi, there's so much going on, so much in their heads with, um, with running a community. Sometimes those of us in the traditional Jewish world, we really don't make the time to think about the needs of converts. And we have to educate ourselves and to let them know that yes, indeed, they're welcome and they are part of who we are. All right. Um, so let's see. Oh, yeah. Before we just take to our next break, I do want to just throw this thought out. Um, there's a beautiful word. It's a Hebrew word. It's yichus. Yichus. I don't know. Is it Yiddish? Yichus. It means like your pedigree. You're distinguished your righteous pedigree. So... Moses, who we're going to call Moshe, because we use the Hebrew terminology here, gives us a thought that the yichus of Moshe is not even recorded, nowhere in the Torah. We don't really know very much about his background. Um, who cares? You know, Rabbi uh, Dayan Moshe Swift says, who cares who his father was at a time of life and death Every son and daughter of Israel must rise to the occasion and assume the height of responsibility, whether it's a tailor's son or a rabbi's son. Israel's preeminent teacher emerges. He emerges from the home of an everyday Jewish father and mother. What are we learning here? We're learning that to sit and say, what can I do? Who am I? i know no one. I don't have the background. I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the mega box. Doesn't work, doesn't hold. Even Moshe arises from humility. What's our excuse? See you on the other side. Are you tired of political correctness and the fear that you might offend someone? I'm not afraid to offend you. Wow, look who's talking tough. One well, has to be tough to keep sane today. Hi, I'm Alan Skorsky. And I'm Bailey Seabrow. And join us every Wednesday for the definitive wrap as we interview the most sought-after guests and expose progressive trends that masquerade as enlightenment, but actually destroy our freedoms. We are the No Wolf Zone, so buckle up for this exciting show. Buckling up, but I'm driving. (laughs) Sure, you can drive, but I'm the navigator. Tune in for the No Nonsense, the definitive rap show, every Wednesday on Israel News Talk Radio. Share on Israel news dot com. All right. So when we left, we talked about all these kind of inspirational things, which I really do think have universal uh, importance. And um, yeah, so that's it. So. In my studies this week, you know, when I sit down and I think, I love that this show is on a Thursday morning here in Israel, because I have to tell you, on Thursday, we're already getting into the Shabbos vibe. You know, we're winding it down, and when we collapse into bed on Thursday night, kind of the house is, for many of us, starting to smell like Shabbos. Some of us are even beginning to clean a little bit um, to make it Shabbos-centric, but you really, it's just a different vibe. You have to live here. I can't even begin to tell, I can't, I don't, very funny, I'm a wordsmith, right, 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 doesn't quite work. All right, so in my studies, I really had a good time and I get to share it with you. So when Moshe, he appeals to Paro, who is Paro, that is Pharaoh, right, you're all learning the names. So when Moshe, he appeals to Paro to let the Jews out of Egypt. This comes from Rabbi Hanach Libovitz. So he refers to the children of Israel, B'nai Yisrael, I love this, as B'nai K'vodai. Okay, Rashi interprets Kavodai, literally my firstborn, the children, my firstborn, as a term that denotes greatness. Just this one word tells us so much about the distinction of B'nai Yisrael. It's, remember, we were a nation of slaves on the lowest rung of the social ladder, and yet, Tara was expected to appreciate the greatness, the grandeur, the glory within every Jew. Not such an easy uh, task. The awareness of our prominence certainly by Moshe and what he's trying to convey is a lesson of the heights we're capable of attaining. And it reminds us of how we are to act in order to remain worthy of Hashem's term, of that beautiful phrase, b'nei kivodai. This idea kind of uh, gives us a picture of the unique responsibility we have to act in a manner that befits the respect that Hashem bestows on us. Not an easy, not an easy assignment, but we are tasked with standing above the rest of society so that we remain a singular nation with a unique quality. The Torah that shines from within each and every one of us goes back to what we closed with in the last segment of the show. None of us are exempt. If Moshe himself comes from a humble background, what is our excuse as we aspire to reach greater heights? Okay, we are now beginning the second book of the Torah. Everyone thinks that it all happens in Genesis, in the book of Beratius, in the beginning. Not so. Every week, more of our glorious blueprint unfolds. So in the second book, Shemot, it's called, it begins with the Jewish people at a very high level of accomplishment and integration within Egyptian society. Now, as I begin this section discussing it, think back to what I tried to say when we were talking about the massive immigration to Israel from countries that are many are considered third world countries and people are really um, escaping terrible poverty, terrible hardship. But we have people coming from Canada, from the US, from France, from Britain, where we certainly can say these are countries that are very blessed and very endowed, okay? So the Jewish people were really at the height, the height of the social uh, strata strata in Egypt, okay? If we could say they had a caste, they were the Brahmins. But from this lofty perch of security and success in Egyptian society, what happens? They toppled. The situation changes really almost overnight for them. It's dramatic, and they go from being accepted and even respected, emulated, to positions of abject abject slavery, such cruelty. The slavery situation we get to see is not temporary. It's not aberrant. Um, It's going to last for centuries. What was it, 400 years? And eventually the Jewish people though certainly not all of the Jews, or even a majority of them, suddenly overnight, really overnight, they're freed from Egyptian bondage by divine intervention, and they're forged once again into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So it's a wild roller coaster from dizzying heights to kind of terrible lows, and then the crawling up again Is there a better example a more startling example of god's plan for israel throughout all of the ages and every climate jewish world (laughs) seldom on an even keel for israel throughout all of its ages all we are we are people of ups and downs and history for us is is really a roller coaster The past century certainly is an excellent example of the pattern of Jewish history. A fortunate is a person who lives in up, the boon times. But you know what? It isn't permanent, and it doesn't last long. The only thing that's certain in Jewish life, according to Rabbi Beryl Wein, is uncertainty. And even though we all wish and we all pray for a greater stability in the world to really be Jewish, is to accept this divine mandate of change and uncertainty. You know, Moshe's appearance in the Pasha, here it is. It's another example of this roller coaster, the up and down situation of Jewish life. What happens? He begins as an infant, thrown into the crocodile infested waters of the Nile. He's then miraculously delivered from that fate of certain death. And what happens? He's not sent into an orphanage. He's raised as a prince in the house of Paro, no less. What then happens? He forfeits his high position out of loyalty and compassion to his Jewish brothers. He's a hunted man. He escapes Egypt and comes to Midian, where he marries and he becomes a shepherd, from a prince to a shepherd, tending the flocks of his father of his father in law. Apparently there's no natural way that he can reclaim his role as a prince. But in that incident of the burning bush, let's take it just a tad deeper. All right. It's not a child's cartoon. The Lord plucks him away from his sheep and sends him on a giant mission to redeem and educate the Jewish people even though he himself did not have a lofty Jewish education. But listen to this. Moshe rises to the highest level of human leadership and spiritual attainment. He becomes our measuring rod, our staff of, 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 of balance, a symbol to all future Jewish leadership and spirituality. But Moshe, like Israel himself, first he had to be plunged into the depths of persecution and poverty before being raised to greatness. Why does Hashem do things um, like this? Let it just suffice for us to realize that this is a pattern for Jews historically, both nationally and personally. I guess we have to just hope that we will witness that ultimate high and redemption of Israel, Um, according to Moshe's great vision. Wait, I have something I want to just share about this burning bush business. Yeah. Okay. This is great. When Moshe, in this week's Parsha, he clumps up the mountain of Sinai, Har Sinai, to see this burning bush. And God gives him kind of contradictory instructions. He calls Moshe by name twice, Moshe, Moshe, to draw him near. And yet, God then instructs him not to come too near and to remove his shoes. What is Hashem saying with these paradoxical directions? According to the Ramban, these contradictory instructions given to Moshe were a reflection of the twin means of Ahava, which is love, um, Yira, which is awe, by which we approach God. Moshe was told first to draw near to God with love, but then he's warned not to draw too close and to remove his shoes. To remind Moshe and us, of course, that we cannot draw too near to god because we are like the ground upon which we stand when we remove our shoes we are no more than the dust of the earth in a similar vein we remove our shoes uh, even today at times when we're reminded or or when we need reminding of our limitations and our mortality we are not god Uh, When we're mourning a death on Yom Kippur, when we are like angels and need to be reminded of our human nature, the Kohanim, the priests, when they bless the congregation, they could otherwise kind of feel that they're the source of the blessing. Okay? They remove their shoes to remember that it's all from God. Our relationship with God is indeed, well, it's a mixture, ideally. It's a mixture of Yira of awe and ahava, love, and that's the starting point of our relationship. It is and it must be that love which we have for God and which God in his mercy and loving kindness has for us. Important point, let us remember this Sabbath that just as Moshe himself traverses that long road from being raised as a prince to the house of Paro to being hunted, he eventually is a messenger. It doesn't record his personal trials and angst because it doesn't matter. I wish you all Shabbat Shalom from Jerusalem.